we've been working hard for the last 20 years as a church to change those statistics as far as it concerns us. And that's why most of our missions dollars and missions going is going to those 2 billion unreached peoples of the world. And I thank God for Pam Franks, our missions director, and I thank God for all of you who are catching this global vision vision of reaching the world. Uh, You know, we talk a lot, you hear a lot in the news and in our culture about globalization uh, and how, how things are just becoming global. Communication, um, uh, technology has caused the world to be a, 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 a global civilization where we communicate with one another. I have a dream for a gospel globalization, for the gospel to reach every part of our world. That is not just my dream. It is God's dream. Therefore, it is my dream. You see, the Bible is a, is a record of, of, of God's dream for, for God to be worshipped among all the nations, all the peoples of this world. That is God's dream. And many of you understand that because we have many nations represented here. That's God's dream that all the world would be worshipped. And when all the nations or peoples of the world hear the gospel... Then the end, then Jesus will return for that big second coming return. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, the Bible says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then Jesus said, Then the end will come. How is this gospel going to be proclaimed in all the nations, it's going to take an army of, of what I call global Christians. And we've used that terminology before. A global Christian is a person who has a view that is much bigger than themselves. A global Christian is somebody who sees the world like God sees the world. A global Christian has the attitude of Jesus who said, I must be about my father's business. Every day a global Christian wakes up and and is thinking about two billion people. Every day a global Christian wakes up and thinks, I've got to be about my father's business today. A global Christian is not concerned about making a bigger and better life for themselves. They're wanting wanting Jesus to be worshipped in the nations in a bigger and better way. Are you with me today? Are you a global Christian? Do you dream about a world outside of your world? Or have you limited your vision to your zip code and your cul-de-sac? And when is the city works department going to fill that pothole in front of my driveway? Right? Sometimes we live in this tiny little world and we have to, we have to become global in our thinking and in our reaching. How many of you know that Jesus left his zip code of heaven? Aren't you glad he did? And he came down to one of the the biggest potholes ever, and it's called earth. (laughs) And he came and he rescued condemned to die sinners like you and I. And he demonstrated to us what it looks like to be a global Christian. A global Christian prays, a global Christian gives, and a global Christian goes. Just like Jesus did. And our vision for everybody at Glad Tidings is to become a global Christian. 
Not just, I want to reach my cul-de-sac, but I want to reach the unreached of this world. We have a course coming this fall to help you become that global Christian. We're excited about that. I want to invite our ushers to come this morning. We're going to give you the opportunity to give to missions today. Uh, Man, it's so good to partner with what God is doing around the world. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to give. And we pray that you would help us all to become global in our thinking, in our hearts, in our giving, in our going, in our praying. Help us to be like Jesus in that way, we pray today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you give today. Uh, I want to... I'm excited about this message God has put in my heart today. Um, I believe that God wants us today to to get a bigger and better picture of who he is. How many of you know that God is a bigger and better God than we think? He is a bigger and a better God than we think. When I was just a kid, just a boy, um, I remember looking at my dad and my dad is six foot three and wears like a size 14 shoe. And I'm just this little kid. And I used to think, man, my dad is like the biggest dad in the whole world. And I would go to school and we grew up in this rural town in, in New Jersey in this small little private school. And, and, and all of my friends that I had, their, their dads were dairy farmers. And my dad was a butcher, so they were all hardworking dads. And we used to literally have arguments and fights on the playground about whose dad's, whose dad had the biggest muscle. We'd brag about, you know, our dads had the biggest muscle. I know looking at me, you wouldn't think my dad had big muscles, but I'm telling you, they were huge, right? And we would argue, no, my dad's got the biggest muscles. And we'd fight about it. And we made a deal one day. We said, okay, here's the deal. We're going to settle this once and for all. We're going to invite all of our dads to the playground after school today. And they're going to come and they're going to fight it out. And we're going to find out which dad has the biggest muscles. So all the dads showed up. That No, they didn't. I wish they did because my dad would have won. I'm telling you, he would have won. Come on. Man, my dad was so big and my dad had these big feet and I had these little feet and he had these, these size 14 Converse tennis shoes. I know our students know what I'm talking about, but this is back in the day when Converse were really cool for the first time. They've made a comeback and I'd step into those Converse tennis shoes and, and and I, I just thought my dad is so big. His feet are so big. I had this big view of God, my dad, right? I hope today that we walk away with a bigger and better view of our heavenly father. I pray that's, that's the case. You know, there's this game called so big and it's a game you play with little kids and you ask them, man, you, how, how much have you grown since the last time I saw you and little, and you stretch out your arms and say, so big, how big are you going to be when the next time I see you, I'm going to be so big and you stretch out your arms and it's a fun game to play with little kids. And maybe we can apply that to this season of life that we're in this springtime, you know, where you're gathering all the junk in your house and you're doing spring cleaning and you're going to donate it to Goodwill or or something like that. How big is is that donation going to be from good for Goodwill? It's going to be 
so big, right? You're going to plant a garden this spring and it's going to be so big, right? Are you with me? Yeah. You're going to go on summer vacation. When you come back, your visa bill is going to be hopefully not. Here's one so big game you don't want to play. Next weekend is Memorial Day weekend. You're all going to have parties and picnics and you're going to have chicken in your face, fried chicken, and it's going to be so good. And you're going to turn to your spouse and you're going to say, imagine this time next year, your waistline is going to be. (laughs) Right. Here's a more redemptive question. How big is your God? Is your God so big? It's actually not that hard to tell how big your God is. The size of your God is directly related, directly related to how much you worry. You can find out how big your God is by how much you worry or how much you fear. Right? You can tell how big your God is by how much, how much you hope. You can tell how big your God is by by how well you handle uh, an unsuspecting situation even today. What if when the next bad thing happens to you and it will, what if instead of saying, oh, my goodness, what a big mess I've gotten myself into? What if instead we said, wow, God, you are so big, you are so much bigger than what just happened What if that was our immediate response to the things in this life that seem so big to us? What if we said, you know what? God, you're bigger. God, you're better. There's a game and maybe you've heard it. It's called Bigger and Better. Uh, And the idea behind the game Bigger and Better is you trade in something small for something bigger and better. And our MNA youth students are, are, are playing this game right now, actually. And they're using this bigger, better game to raise $15,000 to buy a vehicle for J.J. Husinga, who's a, one of our missionaries, to Tajikistan. And so what happened is all of our students were given something very small, one of these. They were all given a rubber band and they were saying, now take this rubber band out into your neighborhood to your friends and see if you can trade in that rubber band for something that's bigger and better. Pretty cool, huh? Bigger and better. So my daughter, she goes out into the neighborhood with her rubber band. She comes back two hours later and she's pulling this little red rat wagon full of stuff and $75 in cash. I'm like, that's a, that's a second job right there. I think I might. I said, what happened? She just said, well, I went to the door and I said, we're doing this thing and we're raising dollars for this missionary. And, and some people didn't even want to trade anything. They just gave me money. They just gave me money. Started with something very, very small and she traded it in for something bigger and better. See, here, here's where I'm going with this. I think some of us have... A rubber band view of God. God is useful to us, but he's not very powerful. God is useful, but he's not very big. And he's useful, but he's not very valuable. 
And my dream for you this morning is that you would trade in your rubber band view of God for a God who's bigger and better. My prayer is that you walk out of here going, man, God is so big. And I thought I had troubles. My God can handle that because God is so big. And God is bigger and better than I thought. God is so good. The epic story of our bigger and better God begins with a very small verse found in Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1. The Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We have a picture here of the earth. I want to show it to you. There it is. On December 7, 1972, the crew of the first or the final Apollo mission to the moon, it was the Apollo 17, they captured this beautiful image of our planet. It's known as the blue marble photo, the blue marble photo. And the first time that the people living on planet Earth saw this photo was December 7, 1972. They had never seen the planet that they lived on until that day. Now, there are many students here today and you're looking at that and go, yeah, that's the Earth. But can you imagine never having seen a photo of the earth before? I'm looking at Grant and I'm thinking, Grant probably remembers the day he first saw that image. Right? And many of you do. And you notice this image, you you don't see um, the United States on there and you don't even see, you know, Glad Tidings Church. You probably don't see your house or your car. It's just swallowed up in this Beautiful blue marble called the earth. And when mankind first saw this image, we were stunned. And I love this quote from Neil Armstrong. He was the first man to walk on the moon. I had the privilege of hearing him speak way back in the day. I was just a little kid. I barely remember. But he said this. He said, I remember on my way home on Apollo 11... It suddenly struck me that that tiny pea, that pretty and blue, was earth. And he said, I put one thumb up. As he's on Apollo 11, I put one thumb up and I closed one eye. And I blotted out the earth with my thumb. And what he said was this. He said, he said I didn't feel like a giant. He said, I felt very, very small. Today, I am hoping that you get an image of yourself that is very, very small and an image of God that is very, very big. And now I want to zoom out from the earth. I want to zoom out into the heavens and I want to take you to Psalm chapter 19, verse number one. And this is what the psalmist said. The psalmist said the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion Rocky Balboa. 
or somebody like that. Like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and it makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. There's only one star in our solar system. And that one star is called the, the sun. And we have a picture of the sun here today. You can see that right next to it is this blue marble called the earth. Okay. The sun is the only star in our solar system. It's 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit on the surface. It's 93 million miles away from the earth. And with light traveling at the speed of 186,000 miles per second, it only takes eight minutes for the warmth of the sun to touch your skin. And thank God we're going to feel the warmth of the sun today. Imagine a sun that's 93 million miles away. It only takes eight minutes for the light from the sun to touch your skin here in Omaha, Nebraska. I love what Louis Giglio says when he describes the earth. I want you to see how big, how big the sun is compared to the earth. The sun is a million times the size of the earth. A million times. A million times the size of Earth. That's a big sun. And, and Louis Giglio says this. He says, if the Earth was the size of a golf ball, imagine this is the Earth. The sun would be 15 feet in diameter compared to this golf ball. The sun would be almost as tall as the ceiling here today. 960,000 balls, Earth's golf balls could fit inside the sun. That's how big our sun is. You could take those 960,000 balls and fit them into a school bus. Imagine the sun the size of a school bus and the earth. 960,000 earths inside that school bus. Unbelievable. But here's the deal about our sun. Our sun is only one minor star among the 100 billion stars in our Milky Way galaxy. That's just one star in our Milky Way galaxy, among billions of stars. The Bible says, the psalmist says this, that he determines the number of stars and he knows each one by name. God is bigger and better than you think this morning. If I were to hold out a dime and I just happen to have a dime in my pocket... If you were to hold a dime out tonight to the, to the sky, if you hold that dime against the starry sky tonight, that dime would be blotting out 15 million stars if you had the power to see them with your naked eye. And our sun is just one of those stars. I want to tell you about another one of those stars that God made. It's the largest star that we know of, and it's called the Canis Majoris. The Canis Majoris. I love that name, Canis Majoris. It sounds like the scientific name for St. Bernard. <laughs> Canis Majoris. And the Canis Majoris, here's a photo of it, and it doesn't look very big there. But the Canis Majoris is actually 2.9 billion times larger than our sun. That's a big star. 
the largest one that we know of. If the earth were a golf ball, Canis Majoris would be the height of Mount Everest. There's a star out there that's the size of Mount Everest compared to the earth if the earth were the size of a golf ball. Mount Everest is six miles above sea level. That is one massive star. So, you could fit seven quadrillion Earths inside Canis Majoris. And that's enough Earths, if Earth was a golf ball, to cover the entire state of Texas with golf balls 22 inches deep. That's one big star. Canis Majoris is just one star of the 100 billion stars in our Milky Way galaxy. Now, what's amazing about this is, is the Milky Way galaxy is just one galaxy of billions of galaxies in our universe. Listen, God is much bigger and better than we think. And I've got a short video that I think just puts the earth and the heavens in perspective. Let's watch that.
Yeah. And the Bible says that God measures the universe in the span of his hand. He measures the universe in the span of his hand. The psalmist got it right. He said this, when I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. I don't know about you, but after I watched that video, I felt I felt really, really small. And you say, Pastor, are you trying to make me feel small? No, I'm trying to tell you, you are small. You are small. And that's a good thing. Because until we can have a revelation of how big God is, sometimes we also have to see how small we are. Could it be that we've made our image of ourselves way too big and the image of God way too small? Sin has a way of shrinking down God and puffing us up. The Apostle Paul, he had a big problem and it was his ego. He had a big problem and it was Paul. And before he f discovered how big God is, he was all about Paul, all about his ego, all about his accomplishments and what he had done and all the good things he had done and all the degrees that he had hanging on his wall and, and all of this. And he had all of this and he piled it all up one day and he looked at that pile and he said this, I consider them all dung that I may, be, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. What Paul was saying, I was just full of it before I was full of Christ. I was full of it. All of that is like a pile of dung to me now, now that I have discovered Christ. I remember a couple years back, I, I met somebody for the first time here at the church. We sat down and we had breakfast together and, and we were talking, getting to know one another and and I began to realize this person I was meeting with was just so full of it. He was so full of himself, right? Paul said, all of that I consider dung now. Paul said, I was once so full of it. He was so full of it. He was talking about himself. He was talking about all the things that men like to brag about. We brag about our muscles. Well, he was anyway, you know, we brag about, you know, manly things, mountains we've conquered and how much money we've made and who won Monday night football. I mean, that's what guys are into. And he was talking about all this. And I was like, you know what? That's what life is apart from Christ. We're just so full of it. Come on. Somebody say amen in this religious church. We're so full of it. And then we come to Christ and we're like, wow, he's so much bigger than my ego. And I've just watched this man just grow up in God and he doesn't talk about himself like that now. He talks about God and how big God is. And I love that. God loves that. See, the challenge is not getting rid of the dung. The challenge is not getting rid of that big ego that we have. The challenge is seeing the dung, seeing the ego for what it really is. And when we see how much bigger and better God is, everything else is dung in comparison. That's what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3. The heavens are telling us something, church. 
They are telling us that God is really, really big and we are really, really small. Psalm 103.11 says this. Let me just read it to you. It says this, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the love God has for us. As far as the east is from the west, come on, so far has he removed our transgressions, our sins from us. Aren't you glad God's a bigger and better God? Aren't you glad that your sins are are cast as far as the east? I get excited about that. We think our sin is right here. God says, what sin? You're walking around like you're some sinner that hasn't been saved, that hasn't been sanctified, that hasn't been set right and hasn't been separated for God's purpose. And God says, that's what I see about you. And God says, I have separated your sin as far as the east is from the west. We don't even know how far that is. No idea. And friends, if God is bigger and better than we think, then is there anything too hard for God today? If God could create the heavens and the earth out of ex nihilo, out of nothingness, then nothing is too hard for God. See, when we want to create something, we have to take raw, raw material that's already been created. We want to build a house. We have to build it from raw material. We can't just think house. Single people, you have to find somebody. You have to find raw material. You can't just go spouse. And there was spouse. But God did. God doesn't need raw material to create something. God creates raw material. And then he, that's our God. If he's that big and if he's that good, then nothing's too hard for God. I don't know what big problem you came in with today, but I'm telling you, God is bigger and God is better than your problem. He's bigger. He's better. Isaiah, speaking for God, said this. So who is like me? Who holds a candle to me, says the Holy One. Look at the night skies. Who do you think made all this? Who marches this army of stars out each night, counts them off, calls each one by name? So magnificent, so powerful, and never overlooks a single one. Why would you ever complain, O Jacob, or whine, Israel, saying, God has lost track of me? He doesn't care what happens to me. God's saying, hey, I I lead all the stars out every night. The billions of stars and the billions of galaxies. And I know them each by name. And if I know the stars each by name, how many of you know God knows your name this morning? He hasn't forgotten about you. Hasn't forgotten about you. Don't you know anything? Haven't you been listening? God doesn't come and go. God lasts. He's creator of all you can see or imagine. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't pause to catch his breath. And he knows everything inside and out. God is bigger and better than you think. This, but listen, I don't, I don't know what you brought in here. But it's not that big. I know it feels big. But I'm telling you, God is so much bigger. And he wants to swallow up that thing. 
God wants to reveal his glory and his splendor and his kindness and his healing and his forgiveness and his and his ability to bring that relationship together. It is not impossible. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is impossible for God. The Bible says that God is El Shaddai. God is almighty. He has all power. And he wants to demonstrate it here and now in your life. Some of you need a creative miracle. You need to God, you need God to create something out of nothing in your heart. You have a wicked heart and you're trying to say, God, would you clean up my heart? Would you fix up my heart? And he says, no, let me create something brand new. When David said, create in me a, a clean heart, O oh God, it was that same word that, that was used in Genesis chapter 1 when God created the heavens and the earth. God said, David said, God, I know you created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. Would you create in me a new heart out of nothing? He's not going to just remodel your heart. He wants to make it new, new, new. Some of you need God to create something inside of you out of nothing today. And God can do that. And then you can live out of that brand new instead of that old. He wants to do that. While we're putting God in his place today, let's just put the devil in his place too. Can we do that? Some of you have this idea that the devil's all knowing and he's all powerful and he's ever present. Listen, he's not all knowing. He can't read your mind. Only God can read your thoughts. He's not ever present. Some of you get the idea the devil's chasing you. Yeah, the devil, he's right there. He's always chasing me. Listen, the devil is a created being. He can only be in one place at one time. So he's not chasing you. He could be, but he can only chase one person at a time. Now, I know you're important. Okay. He's also not all powerful. Only God is all powerful. The devil has power, but he doesn't have all power. He has limited power. The only power the devil has over you is the power that God allows him to have over you. Job is our example of that. Jesus is our example of that. Joe, the devil had to get permission, permission to test Job. And God allowed it and gave him limited power. You can touch everything but his life. Listen, my friends, God is the one who's all powerful. He's the one who's all knowing and he's the one ever present. You say, I can't get away from the devil's presence. I can't get away. Listen, you can't get away from God's presence. David said, if I go up to the heights, you're there, God. If I go to the depths, God, you're there. Listen, God is bigger and he's better than you think. And here's the mind-blowing thing about God. And we're going to close with this. The mind-blowing thing about the greatness of God is this. As big as God is, God made himself very, very small. As big as God is, creator of the universe, as big as God is, he measures the universe with the span of his hand. As big as he is, he made himself very, very small. And he came to this little blue marble called planet Earth. 
As far as we know, there's no life on any other planets. The earth is a very, very special place. Garden of Eden was a very special place. It was a... It was the the abode of God with man. Life on the earth. Earth is special because he created life. He created man and woman. and, And... And the Bible says he created them in his image. There's nothing in in all of creation, in all of the entire universe, that has the imprint of God like you and I. You've been created with the image of God. But we know that our first parents, Adam and Eve, they sinned. And because they sinned, we got their sinful DNA. We inherited that sinful DNA. And the Bible says... Therefore, we have all sinned. We're all now sinners. And David said, we were conceived in sin. We were born sinners. We know that. And so God, who's very, very big, became very, very small to save sinners like you and I. And the Bible puts it so beautifully in Philippians chapter 2, talking about how big God is, describing Jesus. It says, Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Our very, very big God became very, very small came to this little blue marble called earth, became a man, humbled himself, became a servant, died on a cross, died a a criminal's death. He died our death. He took upon himself our sin. He died for us. He took on the penalty. Listen, there is no other God. There is no other God that would die for sinners. There's no other God but our God. Can you say amen? And that's what makes God so much bigger and better than we think. The Bible says, therefore, God exalted him, exalted Jesus to the highest place. I don't know where that place is, but it's high. To the highest place. And he gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge or confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. God is bigger and better than we think. And this great big God made himself small to save us. That's incredible. That's incredible. I want you to stand to your feet today and we're just going to go crazy because that's what we do. We go crazy about the goodness and the greatness of God. Listen, some of you brought something big in here today, but we're going to proclaim with a loud voice and we're going to sing about how great and how awesome our God is. We're going to lift him up and we're going to say, God, God, you're bigger than my situation, God. God, you rule and you reign above every principality and over every demon that's pursuing me. God, you're bigger than that. 
You're bigger than that. You're bigger than that. Come on, raise your hands. Let's begin to worship. Raise your hand. Act of faith. God, you're bigger. You're bigger. You're so big. Yes. No equal. Demonstrate God. Demonstrate God.